Hey guys, it's Ray back with the second episode of Shit I Don't Like. And you know, I got to thinking the last episode we did talk about race a lot. Shout out to the homie Mo, who's like the most like angry white person I ever met, but <laughs> in a good way. I was like, man, Mo, you need to calm down like you you too radical even for me though (laughs) just kidding that's why I love her so I wanted to take the time to focus this episode on something that I don't like which is just race as a concept in itself so the scientific community um, has been in agreement for quite some time now that race is a social construct with no genetic or biological merit And what that basically means is that race is not real. It's something that as a society and as a culture we create and project, but there's no biological differences in people based on their skin color. And, you know, you might think, well, you know, that doesn't make sense because like I like I'm black. Other people are black. So we we must have, you know, the same something in common and that's true um phenotypical characteristics that are expressed especially in regards to skin color though are such a small part of your genome that you have much more genetic variation within a race than without a race and what that means is you know i'm a black girl um around five seven you know i've sort of a narrow body frame with long limbs i'm like 130 pounds so the genetic composition that expresses that is more likely to give you an accurate reading for example if there's someone else who's around the same height as me around the same weight as me around the same build as me i'm more likely to be genetically similar to that person than any you know, random black person on the street. And there really are no genetic markers common to a certain race, which means if race was real, there would be some sort of gene that all, you know, all black people, no matter where you're born in the world, would have this certain gene if race was real, because that's, you know, the bio, that's the argument for having racial categories, basically, is that they inherently present some sort of biological difference in people, and that they are important. But scientists have done many tests, analyzed them through many computers, and there's no common genetic marker for Europeans, black people, Asians, there's no common trait. Not only is this a problem in the medical world because it does often lead to misdiagnoses, for example, black people are way underdiagnosed for cystic fibrosis because it's thought of as a white disease and they cannot receive proper treatment because doctors don't even think to test them or to diagnose diagnose them with this disease because it's not it's thought of something that can't happen to them same for you know i personally had a friend of who's of filipino descent and she had sickle cell anemia but for many years she was going through troubles they diagnosed her with cancer with some rare other blood diseases and all these things because they didn't even think that 
she could have sickle cell, which is thought of as a black disease only, primarily. So, obviously, this leads to problems in the medical world, but, you know, what we deal with on a daily basis is probably more societal concepts, and that obviously leads to racism. So, one would think, you know, if this really makes no difference, why do we put so much stock into it? Obviously, kids are even taught as a young, from a young age, to identify with their race every time. You have to take some sort of standardized tests, fill out paperwork. Sometimes when you're applying for jobs, or even when you do go to the doctor, even when you're born, they mark you as some sort of race and label you as something that's going to follow you around for the rest of your life. So for me, I'm learning about race and theory Specifically in America, you know, I'm American and it affects me here. I want I wanted to know how did these attitudes come about. So in the last episode I mentioned a book, The Leopard's Spots, um, Scientific Attitudes Towards Race in America, as a book that I have read and recommend you read, but obviously why don't we take a break, you read the book. Okay, I'm assuming you've read this book by now, and we can talk about it. But it's funny because the whole things about racial theories sort of start around the mid-1800s, around the 1840s. You know, this sort of racial science becomes really popular and ingrained in even you know, not just the scientific world, but even in the everyday world of Americans. And guess what's going around the mid-1840s? This is when abolitionism is at the height of its involvement. People are wondering, like, hey, we live in this awesome place called America. It's a relatively new union at this point. We're supposedly founded upon ideas of freedom but yet we're enslaving an entire group of people. <laughs> so you had this tension and you had to sort of create justifications for these tensions. And so it's really, this book, I mean, it's n not funny, obviously, because people believe this at this time, but I was reading this book and I just found myself laughing. Like, And it was just funny. You would see how these arguments that, there's a racial hierarchy obviously who you think is going to be on top the white people who are the only ones thinking about these things and creating these systems you know the white person's on top then you have the native american then you have the negro at the bottom and it's just funny like some of their theories that you know basically negroes and whites are such a different race that when they mate and produce a mulatto that the mulatto is infertile and some sort of weird species that can't mate with anyone which obviously is not true like have you seen like Halle Berry she got kids so <laughs> it, it's just funny to see how these sort of pseudosciences were used to justify basically economic inequality. And it wasn't just in America, you know, you have Oliver Cromwell 
in England who basically tried to exterminate the Irish on basis of race, calling them that they were a separate inferior race, that they're vermin. And this was all because, you know, if you're in the time of where there's not enough economic opportunity for everyone, it's, it's easy to just blame someone as a scapegoat and just to justify your prosperity or take from them because there's not enough resources for everyone. Um, also, what constitutes a race has changed as societal, you know, makeup changes. Um, at one point, you know, ethnicities are very big in America, whereas today, you know, we see a white person, you're labeled as white automatically, but that wasn't always the case in America, you know, you had, during the early waves of immigration in the mid-1800s, you had Irish people, Polish people, Italians, Germans, and especially with the Italians, Polish, and, um, Irish, they were not considered as white either. They were talked about often in the same contempt that black people were talking talked about. And obviously in relation to black people, it's like one of the popular theories that Irish people were some sort of missing link between the evolved white man and like the black Neanderthal. The Irish people were some sort of in between, you know, not fully white, not fully black. And it's funny how everything was sort of on a dichotomy of whiteness versus blackness. And you were on some scale between white and black. And in fact, there were even laws written, naturalization laws that said you could only become a citizen if you were a free white man. And this got into trouble when, you know, you had ethnic groups from Europe that weren't technically white, but they're not black either, so they don't really know what to do with these people. Um, especially in the early 1900s, you see waves of Puerto Ricans coming to America, and, you know, they're sort of lumped in with Italians because they share a common religion, you know, they may have a similar complexion, um, but Italians are like, oh, we don't want to be them because they're too black. We're like a little less black than they are. <laughs> so you see this sort of weird dichotomy and you don't really see all of these ethnic, um, European identities absorbed into whiteness until they're basically become anti-black around the early 1900s they see you know hey the only way we can become white is if we fight against the people the whites hate and that's very interesting and whiteness as a concept is the only thing that's been malleable in American society whereas you know at first only Anglo-Saxons were white then you know some Irish are white Polish become white, Italians become white, all these other groups slowly become white, but, you know, if you're black, you're black, like, <laughs> no help for you there, and we even see these laws that, laws that if you're one thirty-second, you know, black blood, then you're black, and you can't be privy to white privileges of the time, like voting, or 
holding certain positions you know they had all these crazy terms for like basically mixed black people you had mulatto if you're half black you had quadroon if you're a fourth black you had octoroon if you're an eighth black and it really goes on like some of these terms just go on and on to like infinite <laughs> frac fraction terms and it's just so ridiculous and we see this still unfolding um in current American society of different ethnicities not being accepted into the you know the fold of whiteness for example we have Arabs and people of Latino descent are technically white when you fill out a census form you know there's no different racial category for Arab and now you know there's Hispanic category which you know was not always on the census it was added sometime in the 70s I believe might be wrong about that but um, Hispanic it's always noted that this is an ethnicity not a race but they still made it felt the need to mark it as a separate category because they're not accepted into the white category even though by the made of racial standards so that's one thing i feel like if science recognizes that there's no genetic basis for race um we can see in society that the definitions of race has changed even during civil war periods people in the south thought that they were a different race than northern white people which just sounds like absurd to <laughs> think to talk about these days but they said things like this it it's sort of questionable why do we even still think this way even in the 2000 census it, it actually stated even you know the census asks you what is your racial category it actually stated you know these categories have no biological genetic or anthropo anthropological criteria they mean none of these criteria but like we're going to ask you this shit anyway and while i do think that it is i guess important to understand these things from a socioeconomic um resource so we can benefit distribute benefits in appropriate manners and learn things uh, is sort of reinforcing the fact that they do mean something when they don't if we keep asking people these questions over and over again which you know I don't really know the s solution to but um so yeah let's go back to whiteness as a concept because like I said um not everyone in America was white at all times on any not all light-skinned people were considered white and white as a term you know wasn't a term that people really use in the old world meaning Europe Europeans didn't call themselves white you identified with whatever you know country you're from you know I'm Scottish I'm Irish I'm Dutch you they didn't use terms like white until um, America, Amer whiteness essentially is an American construct to enforce, you know, socioeconomic benefits on one sector of society to the detriment of others. So we can go back and see sort of the origins of when this started back in the 1600s. 
So in 1604, you have the first legal slave in America. Now, prior to that, you you had indentured servants, and indentured servants were, you know, of African ancestry, also of Dutch, Scottish, Irish ancestry who were coming over. And indentured servitude was different in slavery because you, you basically came over, you had to work for a few years, and um, after the few years you were released and you usually got, you know, some acres of land, you might have got some livestock as repayment for working those set amount of years. So, you know, white people did this, Africans did this, and but basically it was upsetting the local balance of power because when you have an in you have originally the uh, the first colonists were able to you know own massive amounts of land start their own stuff but then we have indentured servitude you're creating a new class of landowners when those people are freed and they're basically now in competition with the old class of landowners because now you have a, a large growing number of people who are rising in the economic sphere and that also leads to rising in the political sphere because those things are always intertwined. So I think when you study history, it's not always important to know what happened. It's more the contextual um, reasons why stuff is happening because if you don't know what is happening in the background, what's happening in the foreground is really like not as important in my opinion. So, as I was saying, um, the first legal slave uh, in 1604 was owned by a former indentured servant, Anthony Johnson, who was of African descent. Um, he worked his way up. He, he was freed. He became a successful businessman and landowner and had indentured servants. So he had one black servant, two white servants. You know, I guess they're fed up with that bullshit. They're like, man, you know, we just came here. We're trying to get this land, trying to get this money. They, they were tired of them. I don't know. So they decided to run away and escape. And when they were caught, you know, the two White people were basically whipped and told to go finish out their remaining year of indentured servitude and then they're, they're chill. They can be free. But the black person, they're like, nah, you black, you got to be a slave for life, which is important because prior to that, um, there was not legal slavery um, here and it's important to note that a black person owned one of the first, you know, slaves of a black person was owning another uh, black person. So, and like I said, the old, the underlying motive of this was economic. They needed some reason to basically discriminate against the future land owning class. So they're basically like, Hey, what's some arbitrary reason that we can consolidate our power and not let other people become landowners? Oh, well, you know, anyone's black, they can't do shit now. So whereas before, um, when indentured servitude was just a, a temporary state, now you're black, you're a slave for life. So I think it's important to know that, in my opinion, everything sort of links back to 
economic inequality. I think inequality breeds contempt, which leads to fear, which leads to hatred. But if you can, and I feel like we're never as a society going to rectify these basic inequalities unless we get at the fundamentals of what's causing the the inequality. And I think that's a system that is based upon greed and a, a sort of scarcity mindset that there's not enough for everyone. I need to get mine and fuck everyone else because fuck you. <laughs> so when you have this mindset, obviously you're, if you live in a world where resources are scarce and you can only have a certain amount, there's a finite number of resources, or at least you think there's a finite number of resources, you're going to behave in ways that are illogical, like creating, you know, artificial race distinctions. You're going to behave in ways that are unethical. Like, it's funny because a lot of these people um, that were perpetrators or slavery claim that it was out of morality that like you know the 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 natives and africans are just such savage idiots that it was really like up to the white man to just control them because they were just so inept like they couldn't do anything by themselves let alone that native americans had you know rich cultural artistic textile traditions agricultural to traditions you know way before white people came africans had a wonderful vast cultural history that i can't really do justice right now included spirituality other artistic craft work um architectural prowess so you know but the white man you gotta do it all. That's <laughs> not to say that, like I said, racism is not only for the whites. It's for anyone who's in power and seeks to continue that tradition of power. In Asian, in Asia, for example, you have Japanese invading China brutally. Where you know, for our purposes, you consider Asian one race. I wonder if they consider themselves one race when they're um, you know, invading and attacking people and basically calling them also inferior and worthy of subjugation. So that's one thing that we have to recognize that anyone who's in power, in my opinion, is subject to being corrupt. And that's because we live in a system that espouses scarcity and fear. Will we evolve beyond that sort of mindset? I hope so, one day. I hope. I mean, I feel like technology has advanced enough to where we can afford to give everyone a basic standard of living. I don't believe in a universal basic income or wage. But, you know, that's a topic for another episode. <laughs> but... It's just funny because we base all these sort of racial stereotypes on things because we do believe that there's a biological basis. You believe that there's some kinship. And I think that tests like, you know, now it's really cool to get DNA tests like 23andMe or Ancestry.com. 
test and I think that just serves to greater enforce (laughs) that there's a difference between people obviously people look different because we evolved in different parts of the globe and we didn't have much contact with each other and in you know until travel was possible and ships were invented you know so obviously people evolved to look different from each other that's basic you know evolution you have some species it's just like when you have species that live on an island they evolve in a much different patterns than uh species that are not that are landlocked same difference but it's just people and just because people are different, that doesn't mean one's better. I feel like it's also human nature to categorize things and rank everything when stuff is just different, not necessarily better. Um, it's just like flowers. I always like to liken different phenotypes to flowers. Like, some people are roses. Some people are sunflowers. They're all flowers. They're all the same. You can't argue that a rose is better than a daffodil. Like, I mean, I guess you could, but you sound like a fucking fool because that doesn't make any sense. Some flowers are daffodils. Some flowers are roses. But they're all flowers and they all smell really pretty. So we should treat all the people of the world like beautiful flowers. And that's it for my like hippie tirade that I went on today um if you'd like to learn more about these sort of um things that I'm saying um I definitely recommend that you guys watch the documentary on PBS called race as a social construct I watched this in college I think I was around 19 at the time blew my mind it sort of changed my views on race because I had never heard of that before until I was teenagers. I was taught, like, I'm black. It must mean something to be black. I don't know. It must mean something to be white. But it doesn't really mean anything. And I think that if kids were shown this at a young age all across the world, probably a lot of things could be resolved and that's also what i want to note that just because race isn't real doesn't mean racism isn't real racism is alive they just be concealing it in the words of the old kanye um but um racism is only real because people think that race is real so i think like i said we can't really um cure a problem unless you know the underlying causes of that problem and so hopefully you know you can learn something this show is meant just to be an open discussion i don't expect people to like agree with me i love to talk to people i don't like arguing with people i I like to have discussions with people and learn something maybe i can learn something new and I feel like the marker of intelligence is not knowing a bunch of stuff it's knowing that you don't know a bunch of stuff and just being willing to listen to other people and that's the point of this show even though it's called shit I don't like obviously you would think it'd be like a more uh, angry ranting show but I think 
We're trying to keep it like pretty posy on this show. So tune in next week. Um, I hope to have a special guest on my show, um, Megan, who's a friend of mine, co-worker, and theoretical writing partner. We always say we're going to write together, but we never do. But we just want to talk about, um, the role, female roles in the media and how all female characters are basically seen through a lens of, you know, some sort of romantic counterpart. And how, you know, not all girls are trying to get a dick. Or if you like girls trying to get some boobies. I don't know what y'all say. But, <laughs> like, we're not all about that life. Some of us are just trying to read a book and go to the spa and paint paint our nails. I just describe myself, but that's what I'm like. I don't know if you're like that. But, um, see you guys later and stay tuned. Bye.